Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Cardinals GM Steve Kime. Kime time. With Burns and Gambo. Presented by Santan Ford and Gilbert. We are Santan Ford. Welcome back. It is the Burns and Gambo show here on Arizona Sports. Typically, we talk with General Manager Steve Kime of the Arizona Cardinals every Friday, but it coming off of the day of a game, or at least the day after a game, moving some things around a little bit and joining us right now on the Arizona Sports Line, the General Manager of the Cardinals, Steve Kime. Steve, congratulations on the win Thursday. Thanks for joining us. We appreciate it. Thanks, guys, and uh, obviously congrats to all our fans and everyone who showed up and, and was loud. It's, it's been, a, been a while, and obviously very gratifying to, to win a game at home. Well, let's let's talk about looking up at the Seattle Seahawks. Just what everybody expected is chasing <clears throat> Seattle at the top of the NFC West. Yeah, I mean, week to week league. I mean, you never know in the National Football League, and uh, obviously, uh, as we know, last year uh, through experience, that the teams that finish strong uh, are generally the ones at the top. So, plenty of time to play football, and uh, obviously, one week at a time. Let's talk about the return of DeAndre Hopkins. He led the team ten catches on fourteen targets, one hundred and three yards. Key factor in many of your drives that led to touchdowns. Getting him back was one thing. But how you used him, I thought was a different thing. We're so used to seeing Hop line up out wide left. You guys had him in a slot. You had him in motion. You had him on the right. You had him on the left. Tell me how that came about. Well, I mean, I think, you know, when you have a guy like Hop and, and people are going to either try to double or bracket him, uh, you want to move him around and try to create his mismatches. Although, if you asked Hop, he would tell you he's never covered. So, um, <laughs> But but uh, talking about a uh, you know exciting time to have him come back and, and really kind of felt strongly that he was going to come back and have, um, you know, sort of that type of uh, impact on the game. It felt different watching him move around. Was it different? Was it substantially different in terms? terms of where he plays and where he lines up? Well, I mean, I think that, you know, there are some nuances that are different. Um, but, but I mean, really, you know, I think the one thing that, that sort of uh, helped the, the whole process was the fact we were able to run the ball effectively so we had balance. You know, once you all of a sudden have balance, now you have playmakers like hop out there on the perimeter and making those kind of plays. It just opens up different things for you. And I think that certainly helped our offense. How much do you think it helps Kyler having D-Hop back out there? Oh, I mean, I, I think it's, uh, you know, it's a huge help. I mean, at the same time, you know, he still has to continue to improve in his progressions and all those different things. But when you know you have an outlet like DeAndre Hopkins with those type of hands, uh, great catching radius and, and, and strength in a crowd, uh, you can take some additional chances, that's for sure. What do you, I didn't, I thought it was a bad look, the spat between Kyla Murray and Cliff Kingsbury, but I didn't think it was anything more than just a bad look. I don't think it affects anything going forward, but you're the GM of the team. That's your coach. That's your quarterback. I was caught on national television with what Kyler was saying to him. Did you have an issue with it? No, not at all. I mean, listen, I mean, if we saw everything that was said in football and the emotions that come with it. I mean, Thursday night game, the roof's open, all black uniforms, uh, a lot of excitement. And uh, again, emotions get high and, and, and that'll happen from time to time. I'd rather see people be emotional than uh, than obviously the, the alternative. And um, we were rolling Thursday night and the guys were cranked up and ready to play. You guys are 9-2 and two when Kyler plays with Hopkins. 3-7 and seven <clears throat> when Kyler plays without Hopkins. 
three and seven. Thirty percent of your games you win, but nine and two when those two are together. What is it about having Hopkins in the lineup that makes Kyler so comfortable? So are you saying that was a good trade or no? I'm saying that was a good trade, but I also like to say, you know, you've had six months to figure out how to play without him, and you guys didn't yeah. do that great of a job playing without him. That's a fair point. That is a fair point. Um, you know, again, I, I, I don't. I wish I could tell you, um, but but I do uh, know that that he makes a difference when he's on the field, and his ability uh, to do the things that I just told you as as uh, strong as he is in a crowd. I mean, all those different things with the catching radius. I mean. Plus, he's a guy that's got swag. I mean, he instills confidence in our football team. Steve Kime, general manager of the Cardinals, our guest here on this Big Red Monday on the Burns and Gambo Show. We've asked you many, many times about Eno Benjamin. We've had lots of conversations about Eno and kind of the journey that he's been on since you drafted him. How big of a moment was it for him that night on Thursday to do what he did in the absence of James and Daryl? I thought he was phenomenal. Uh, again, I, you've heard me say it on this program several times, but just continues to grow and get better. Uh, phenomenal natural run skills. And I think even what he showed the other night was the ability to finish with strength and uh, explosiveness. And I think, um, you know, for a guy that's not the biggest back, um, he certainly uh, had a great night and um, uh, he put his name on the map for sure. And then and then Keontae uh, Ingram, I mean, I thought he was excellent. You know, some of the things he does for a big back, his ability to finish and push the pile, his ability to stop and start with some suddenness for his uh, size and, and then make you miss and laterally in the, in the open field. So both of those backs are, are, are really exciting to watch for me, and I thought they had a great night. How, given everything that was kind of at stake and everything that was on the line in that game, how badly did your organization need that one on Thursday, Steve? Well, I mean, I think for a number of reasons, and selfishly for me more than anything, because I wanted to win a game at home, and for our fans, give them something to be excited about. And to go out and play on Thursday night football with the roof open and wear all black and get beat would be awfully disappointing. And um, again, I think any time that you can win at home in front of your fans, it's a, it's a, it's a great sign. And now you get on the road and you scratch some of those out, and now we're back, uh, you know, in, in, in the mix. I was in the press box Thursday night, and sometimes I'll take the binoculars and focus on one player at a time just to see, you know, how they drop into coverage, things that they do. I happened to get lucky on the Isaiah Simmons pick six that I focused on Isaiah, just watched him the whole time, and almost lost my mind in the press box because it's one of the best plays that I've ever seen. The athleticism on that play was was unreal, on full display. So I want to go back to when you were scouting him, when he was at Clemson, was what was the main thing that you loved about him that made him a first-round pick for you? You know, I think, again, like you saw the other night, the range, the length, and the athleticism, and the ability to, to play on different at different spots in the field. I mean, I've seen him cover uh, four four receivers in the slot and, and lock them down because of his size and length uh, and speed. But that being said, when you put a tree like that in the middle of the field, a guy who's six foot five and runs four three, um, you know, again, like in, in, in the situation where it happened the other night, ball's thrown over the middle, his wingspan, his length, stabs the ball, and, and I, again, I, I agree with you. I, I have not seen many men his size turn on the Jets and finish with that kind of speed. Yeah, I, now I know this. You know, you guys have always just tried to find the right role, and can he be consistent? He almost reminds me of, you know, the old school Dave Kingman home run hitter, the guy that can go, you know, 0 for 3 with a couple of strikeouts and a ground out, but then hit a three run homer. <laughs> he seems to be that type of impact player to where you don't notice him. He's just having an okay game. 
and all of a sudden, boom, he can make these great plays like he did in this game, like he did in the Raider game. Is that the is that a fair assessment of him? No doubt. I think, the, you know, again, when the lights come on, guys like him make big plays, and um, that's no different because he is uh, just has a knack for coming up either with a pick or, um, you know, getting a fumble. Um, just the things he can do physically is different from most athletes. Uh, so, so to me, uh, you know, you got to have your playmaker on the field and put him in a position to succeed. Given everything that had gone on in camp and then right before the season opener, how big of a moment was that for Antonio Hamilton? Oh, that was huge. It really felt good for him uh, personally because of all he's been through. And he had a great camp for us and was was playing extremely well. And then obviously to have the accident and to have that setback. And he's such a good guy, good teammate. Um, to come up with that pick, which was a huge play in the game, obviously, because we're talking about a game that would have been, what, 14-3 or even 10-3 uh, if, if we would have not came up with that turnover. Yeah, Steve Keim, our guest here on the Burns and Gambo Show. At this point, with all the travails you've been through, looking for kickers or is the hope that Matt Prater is back this week? Yeah, you know, I think anytime you have a um, franchise kicker like Prater, which I think we have, um, you know, you hope he gets back. And at the same time, you don't want to put him out there too early and have something happen and regress. But I thought Blankenship did a phenomenal job stepping in. Uh, obviously, he nailed that 50-yarder and all of, um, you know, the other things that he did for us, kicking the ball into the end zone. I thought that was uh, showed why he was drafted where he was. Any regrets in not going to Blankenship a week earlier? Uh, you know, I mean, I think it's it's one of those things that it's it's hard to say. I mean, I if I knew the results of this past weekend, I would say yes. But uh, as you know, it's 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 tough business, and you make mistakes. How about AJ Green benched for Greg Dortch in that game? I, I think it was the right decision. But is there a role for AJ Green on this team going forward? I think there is. You know, I think AJ still got a good skill set, and he can do some different things for you, both inside and outside. I think again with the way the personnel is, depending. on on who we play, it'll it'll, it'll obviously um, create some changes in the lineup. But uh, really excited about Robbie Anderson and what he brings to the table. Obviously, his vertical speed and his size are intriguing, especially when you pair that with Hop and what he can do on the opposite side. Uh, you got that? Uh, you get that message on your phone. You see the breaking news, the alert that the 49ers have just gotten Christian McCaffrey. What was your first thought? I thought he's a pretty good player. I thought um, probably same thing that I thought when I saw that the Rams got Matthew Stafford. Like well, the division's getting better and better, but um, we can't worry about other teams. Got to worry about ourselves. And if we take care of our own business, it'll take care of itself. Do you anticipate where you are right now? And that was a big win to keep you in this thing. Do you anticipate with the deadline coming up in a couple of weeks, making another move? Uh, you know, there's always going to be uh, that potential, especially, um, you know, again, with the, with the number of players that we have injured, uh, some of them coming back, depending on the timeline that they're going to come back. It's a it's a lot of moving parts. But but if, if there's an opportunity, again, as you guys know, we'll take we'll take a shot. Thank you, Steve. As always, we appreciate the time. And thanks for joining us on a Monday. All right. Thanks, man. Talk to you soon. Thanks, Steve. Steve Kime joining us here on the Burns and Gambo show on the Arizona Sports Line. When we come back here on Burns and Gambo on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader to the Phoenix Suns have a Chris Paul problem. We'll get into that next here on Burns and Gambo. Burns and Gambo. 
Afternoons on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Chris Paul into the forecourt, right-hand dribble to the top of the arc, lob to Landale, tough catch in traffic, pass it under the basket, back to Paul, wide open for three, and he got that one to go straight away. Nice two-man game between CP3 and Jock Landale. That was uh, our good buddy John Bloom with the call from uh, certainly not this... uh Certainly not the Portland game for the Suns. That was from last night and the win against the L.A. Clippers. Suns are off to a good start so far this year. They're 2-1 on the season against what's been a pretty tough schedule to start the year. Dallas, the Clippers, they've got Golden State tomorrow. They've got the Pelicans coming up on Friday. And there have been things that we've obviously liked. Devin Booker has played very well. DeAndre Eaton, at times, has played very, very well. But the question, and anybody who's watched these games, it's almost impossible not to notice. Chris Paul just does not look like himself so far. No, I, I was just looking doesn't through. Look like himself at all so far. No, he wasn't really a factor, you know, in these games. Uh, last night for sure, and then the first game. So the first game he goes one for six from the field. Second game five for eleven, and the last night three for eleven. He's shooting nine for twenty eight overall. Nine for twenty eight. I'm gonna have to look up what that field goal percentage is, but I mean it's not good. It's under thirty three percent. Nine for 28. He's also a miserable one for 11 on three-point attempts. This has been a guy who can knock down three-pointers at a pretty good clip. One for 11. He's got 32 assists Mm -hmm. to just five turnovers, so no issues there. But the problem comes with scoring the basketball. He's averaging 33 minutes a game. He had 30 minutes in the first game, then 36 and 33. So it's not a major reduction in minutes, Bernsey. He's averaging 33 minutes through the first three games. It's that he's not shooting the ball very well. He's not shooting it at all from three-point range, one for 11. He's not shooting it from the floor without the three-pointers. The field goal percentage is really low. The assist are there. His ability to see and pass the ball and everything is there. But Chris Paul's ability to be that that, that secondary scorer to Devin Booker seems like it's gone right now. Yeah, it's it certainly he's off to a slow start. I'm trying to gauge within myself like how concerned I am about it. Am I am I deeply worried about this? Am I do I have you know uh, post traumatic stress disorder after how we ended last year? Like we were talking about that with our buddy Dave King from Bright Side of the Sun during the opener last week, and it was like we we were all recounting the memory of last year's postseason when the Suns are up 2-0 against the Dallas Mavericks. John Hollinger had just written a story about how Chris Paul had been the best player in the postseason up until that point. He had been playing great. And it's like as soon as he turned 37 years old, bingo, bango, it was done. It was over. And he was just like a different guy after that. So is part of my concern about Chris Paul leftover concern from him from last year? It has to be. It's got to play a factor in that, right? Because we saw him close and he's not playing that bad now. I don't want to suggest that he's been that as bad as he was against the Mavs in the playoffs last year, that he's been that bad this year. He hasn't. But my concern about him, I think, kind of stems from, hey, man, he did not close the season well. And he's not starting the season yeah, so great either. There's a little bit of a carryover yeah, in that. it's a carryover. Like if he had, I don't think we'd think anything of it if he had, he had finished strong and he gets off to this start. Hey, he's not shooting the ball very well. All right. Maybe just a slow start. He'll warm up. You know, there's a lot of people that think that the second he had his birthday, everything just went to hell in a handbasket right after that, and he hasn't been the same player. Look, I think he's still like he could still do things. 
clearly 32 assists in three games. Yep. He's averaging 11 assists per game. I mean, you know, he's bet 10 or 11. That's pretty good. Um, the turnovers, there was a couple last night, but the turnovers aren't bad. It doesn't have a whole lot of turnovers. But that secondary score. So then you ask yourself the question, like, if that doesn't get fixed, how far can the Suns go if Chris Paul can't score the basketball? How far can they go if if there isn't that secondary scorer? Because you know DA is one day he'll give it to you, one day he won't. Then he'll give it to you, then he won't. So you just you know, I don't know if you could count on DA the way you were Chris was reliable. You yeah. could always count on Chris to close out games for you and get you points when you need it. Unless them. DA becomes more of the secondary, the number two scorer on this team. Unless DA is ready to take that evolution and and maybe look, maybe that's part of a plan. You know, maybe maybe I'm gonna suggest this here. You know, Chris Paul, okay, in addition to his shot just being poor so far, one for 11 is th- from three, as you mentioned, he's not shooting the ball very much, right? You know, he's, he's not, he doesn't look to be taking his shot. He doesn't, he doesn't seem to be looking for his shot when he's out there. He seems to be passing up shots that in this offense, I'm used to seeing him take. And I'm certainly not seeing him drive to that right elbow spot and take his patented little 15 foot jumper from that area. It's almost like, and maybe I'm, it's too early to say this, but it's almost like he's kind of, willingly taking a backseat in the offense to see if there are other guys who can pick up some of that scoring. D.A., Mikel, Cam, you know, almost like he's surveying the situation to see, do they need me to score? Do I need to score a lot in this offense? Or do we have guys who can pick up this? Like, you get that vibe at all? I went back to the games. No, not really, but I, I, maybe it's true. Maybe it's true. Um, but I like, I went back to last year. He was six for 11 against Denver in the opener, two for four from three point range. He was six for 12 against the Lakers. So he had 15 points in the first game, 23 points in the second game. And then he followed it up with four and yeah, six. Yeah, he played 26 minutes. He only played 26 minutes again against Portland that day. He had 11 assists, but you're right. He had four and six. But, you know, maybe, but, you know, you look at the shots, 11, 20, 12, 10, 10. It was only the, the one outlier was the five shots against Portland. I don't know. I mean, it's it's something that just, he took six shots in the first game. He took 11 in the second game. He took 11 in the third game. He's just not making the shots. Uh, he's not making them, but I, I just don't think he's looking for it as much. And, and that's and maybe that's the one thing. I'm going to play a money cut here in a second. In fact, I'll play it right now. Has it been an adjustment for Chris Paul in his new role? Here's what Monty said today. This is from Shootaround. I think it's an adjustment, but I, I wouldn't say it's a hard one for Chris. I think he's... He's been a willing adjuster, if that makes sense, because he, he wants to win. And I, the thing that people don't understand is, like, as much as Chris has the ball, I remember being in New Orleans when he wanted to play with Jerry Jack because Jerry could handle the ball and he didn't have to do it all the time. So he's obviously talking about Chris Paul's role as, you know, bringing the ball up and initiating yeah. the offense and things like that, not necessarily as a score. I Look, if there's a reason to be Chris concerned about Chris Paul, I'll be concerned about Chris Paul. It's just three games in, I just can't help but to wonder if one of the takeaways from how last season ended was, okay, when they took Devin Booker away, we just didn't have any other options on offense. Nobody else could. So let's start this season by finding who our other options on offense are and seeing how it works by going to those guys. Because and maybe that's affecting his shooting because he's not in his he's not into a normal rhythm of what he's normally been. Maybe, maybe I don't I know. Mean, maybe I, I don't know. I, I mean, it's it's he's he's old. And he's gonna get old. But he's a Hall of Fame, one of the best point guards ever. They they brought him here to pay him a lot of oh, money. I know, I know. Do they need him 
at that. Like, I think they do. I think to win a championship, he's got to play at the high level he's played at in the, you know, the year before when he went to the finals and in that New Orleans series at times. I think they need that Chris Paul to get to the if Chris Paul is people have people talking after the Dallas game. Boy, he, remember we were in the Dallas game we were there we were in the press box for the Dallas game is he cooked what's you know what's he wrong with Chris against Dallas. he, he looked right. very disengaged if Chris Paul yeah. is a very inconsistent player who can't get into a rhythm and can't play at the level he played at I think that this team's chances of winning a championship take a deep dive. A deep dive. I just don't know that they can without that. Now, maybe they get some other guys. Maybe it is DA stepping up as the second scorer, but then who's your third scorer? Right. You know, I saw an article on one of the one of the websites today. It was uh, over the weekend. Sun's lack of a third scorer painfully evident early on. Mm-hmm. And that was after the first two games. Booker and Aiton are averaging a combined 52, making up half of their scoring. So that becomes like, who is going to score the basketball when you need to? Yeah. NASCAR Championship weekend returns to Phoenix Raceway November 4th through the 6th. The weekend's going to have a little something for everyone, from the diehard NASCAR fans looking to get close to the action to the fans looking for a fun, exciting family atmosphere. Head to the contest page now on ArizonaSports.com for your chance to win sold-out grandstand tickets. There's good news and bad news regarding the Cardinals following their long weekend. The good and the bad we'll share with you next on the Burns and Gambo Show. Big Red Monday and Burns and Gambo on Arizona Sports. Presented by Sanderson Ford. The best play is at Sanderson Ford. So it's a big red Monday without the Cardinals. Of course, they beat the Saints on Thursday, and we talked the heck out of that game on Friday. But like any good Cardinal fan would, we spent most of the weekend kind of watching around the NFL to see what happened here, what happened there, what happened with Tampa Bay, what happened with Green Bay, San Francisco, Seattle, right? And all of the teams in the NFC that you kind of keep an eye on to see what it means for the Cardinals, who at three and four, I mean, say what you want about how they've played record-wise. Man, they're right there bunched in with a whole bunch of teams, and there's no doubt that takeaway number one from week seven in the NFL has to be Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers and Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the teams and the quarterbacks that those two organizations lost to over the weekend. It's insane when you think about it. No, there's no doubt about it. I mean, Tampa Bay is three and four. Green Bay is three and four. Got losing records. I said to you, we watched like Tom Brady. I'm like, man, first of all, I feel bad for Todd Bowles. Like, you get Tom Brady and you're going to be the, you're going to be the coach that failed with Tom Brady. And then Tom Brady, man, he, like, he's got no team, no roster. Like, it's a mess. I mean, the Bucks, the Packers. I mean, how do you lose to the Commanders? How do you lose to the Commanders? That's a terrible football team. So I think, um, I, I, yeah, I think both teams, we thought, that both of those teams would be probably among the three best in the NFC. Yes. And they're not. The three best teams in the NFC right now are probably Philly, Minnesota, and maybe the maybe the Giants. In the NFC? In the NFC? The three Philly? best teams in the NFC. Or you just go by the, I mean, you have to go by the records. What else are we going to go by, right? I mean, what else are we going to look at? The Giants keep winning. Yeah, they're close. You could pick the, you pick, you could pick the Cowboys. 
You could say the Cowboys are. They didn't look so hot yesterday with Dak back no, in the lineup. They, I mean, they didn't it, look great. It, they didn't. They didn't look great. Dak. It took him a long time to get going. Yeah, the Giants have trailed. It seems like it's just about every game they've played this year. And yeah, every single win they've had is close. But six and one is six and one. And, and Minnesota, they didn't play this past week. Philly didn't play this past week. And so it it is a shock. Now there are varying degrees of reaction around the league. Some people are looking at it and saying, "Oh, they'll be fine. They'll be fine. They're just they're." they're they're taking a while to figure it out. Tom Brady, I mean, hell, they're still in first in their division. Aaron Rodgers and the Packers are only a game out of the last wild card spot in the NFC. It's they're so still- messed. It, 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 I was just looking at the standings. It's so crazy. Like, you know, so you've got, you've got, with four wins or three wins, okay? Just. Philly's got six. Minnesota's got five. Okay. Here's the teams that he that he have either four or three wins. Seattle's got four. Tampa's got three. The Rams have three. The 49ers have three. The Falcons have three. The Packers have three. The Commanders have three. The Cardinals have three. That's eight teams. Uh-huh. Eight teams have three wins. So there's no separation right now. Three or four wins. Three or four wins. Yeah. There's no separation right now. And then there's three teams with two wins. Then you would think, okay, you're out of it, and then, uh, but there's not a lot. There's only one team with six, and then your five win teams are the Vikings and the Cowboys. Well, two with six. The Eagles have six, and the Giants have six, mm-hmm. and then two with five. But there's not a whole lot of separation right now. We're gonna have to wait a few more weeks to get that. No, and, and look again with the Cardinals. No one's sitting here, at least on this show. No one's gonna sit here and try and tell you they've played great this season. They haven't. They played great against the Saints. They played well against the Saints on Thursday night, but no one's going to sit here and try and convince you on this show that the Cardinals are are, are a, a playoff-looking team. But their record is what their record is. And until their record is something else for right now, you tell the story about teams that are in it in the NFC, you have to include the Arizona Cardinals. Do the Rams look like a playoff team? No! Do the no. Packers look like a playoff no, team? No, they don't. No, do the Bucks look like a playoff no, team? No, but, but teams, but people are going to be slower to rule those teams out because they're the Rams. And because of the Bucks, and because of the Packers, because they've got pedigree, they've got recent success, they'll be quicker to rule out the Cardinals. A, in part because let's be honest, they haven't played well this year for most of the season, and B, because they're the Cardinals and they're not the Packers. That's the, just how it goes. The last time Tom Brady, this was one of the biggest upsets of his career in terms of being a favorite. He's also got a sub five hundred record for the first time since two thousand two, yep. when New England was three and four. Two thousand two. So you got to go back. 20 years ago, the last time Tom Brady had a losing record like this. Yeah, and Aaron Rodgers, you have to go back to never for the last time that he's had. This is the first losing record Aaron Rodgers has had through seven games in his career. You see that final play? I actually thought they were going to score in that final play. (laughs) I did. I thought that, well, I got a chance to score on this thing. I didn't know what they were going to do. Are they going to try a crazy field goal? There's only five seconds left. You try to get a play out of bounds and then kick a long field goal. You throw a Hail Mary and they go for the let's lateral it 15 times and see if we can get in the end zone. Yeah, it, it seemed like, it actually did seem like it might have had a chance for a second there, but it's it's also you can't tell the story without telling about who they lost to too. Right. I mean Taylor Heineke and and the Commanders beat the Packers. You see, by the way, Taylor Heineke. Um, I, and I just saw this just now on Twitter. So if you didn't see it, it's it, it might have just come down. Apparently, every time he wins a game as a quarterback, he goes out and he buys a pair of Air Jordans in the colors of the team that he just beat. 
So he just posted on his Instagram account green and gold Air Jordans that he purchased to commemorate his victory. So he over has the- three pairs of sneakers in his closet? Well, I'm sure he has more than that. <laughs> but I have to go back and look at Taylor Heineke's career to see who yeah. else he's beaten. But I, I would imagine he's got some decent colors in there that he represents in the in the closet. Yes, Eric? I mean, Gambo has a point. It's probably affordable for somebody like Taylor Heineke. If it was Brady or Rodgers, they couldn't do that. Yeah, whereas Brady, they lost to Carolina. And Carolina, I mean, okay, think about Brady. Not only did Brady lose to Carolina, Brady lost the Steelers last week. Those back-to-back games are the two biggest upsets this season in the NFL by point spread. All right. And really, uh, Luke made this point earlier, and he's not wrong. They're one Grady Jackson BS roughing the passer call away from maybe losing to Atlanta, too. I mean, things have gotten to the point where Todd Bowles in Tampa Bay is like, yeah, I'm not going to lie to you guys. It's dark around here. It's it's we're going into some dark days trying BA to figure to the out rescue, what's wrong baby. with us Here right now. No, I mean you lost to a team that basically was thrown in the towel. They just traded Christian McCaffrey. Yes, they traded like their best player. They're throwing in the towel. They're not going to win football games. They're not supposed to win football games. And they go out there and win. They win that game. So now the Panthers are only one game back behind the Falcons and the Bucks, <laughs> which is incredible. So I mean, that, that I mean, good for Steve Wilkes. You know, he gets he replaced Matt Rule a couple weeks ago, and they uh, they get the victory. But man, you got to really start worrying about. I was looking at Aaron Rodgers back to Green Bay. We're going back and forth here. They didn't have a third down conversion. No. First time since 1999. No one. 1999, the last time they didn't have a third down conversion. No one. No one. I mean, these two teams are bad. Yeah, they are. Um, Judy Batista over at NFL.com wrote about the five biggest surprises of the NFL season so far. Okay. As you would expect, number one, Buckers and the, pa- the, the Buccaneers and the Packers, their offenses look broken. Preseason expectation number two, the NFC East is the worst div- division in football. The reality is the NFC South is the worst division in football, and the NFC East looks pretty damn good. Give it, I, I give it up I, to your Giants, man. They, they just keep finding ways to win. They weren't trailing by a lot in yesterday's game against the Jags. And every game they've won this year feels like they have to come from behind to do it. And it's a close win, but they win. At the top of the guy at the one-yard line. I had to stop. Uh, was it Christian Kirk? Somebody got I think stopped. it was, yeah. Was it Kirk? I believe it was Kirk. Stopped at, at the one-yard line to get that victory against the Jags. Yep. Uh, preseason expectation number three. Every team in the AFC West is playoff caliber. Reality? No. Kansas City is. Uh, Vegas is not. Denver is not. The Chargers are all beat to hell right now. So who Did Shayla Jones get half be? a sack yesterday? Oh, I didn't know. I think he might have got half a sack. Did he? Yeah. Is he off the schneid? I, I don't think he's got a full sack, but I think he got half a sack. I didn't see that. If, if so, we might have to uh, get a cake or something. Yeah. Preseason expectation number four, the New York teams are rebuilding. Reality, the New York teams are a combined 11-3, and three, although... I'm shocked by this. The Jets took a big loss with Brees Hall going down. And Elijah Vera Tucker. And Elijah Vera Tucker, he's one of the best the offensive linemen. That's yeah. Paul's going to be impossible to replace. That's a big that loss. That kid was great. That, that He was great. Like, he was as good as any running back out there. Had a big touchdown run yesterday. Tears his ACL. I mean, the Jets just can't have nice things. That's the Jets. They, <laughs> they just can't have nice things. It's like, you know, I'm in a group chat with my friends. It's the curse of Joe Namath. There is no curse of Joe Namath. But your top running back goes down. And, you know, look, they're winning football games. And But now to go without Elijah Viratucka, who's a terrific offensive lineman, to go without Hall, who has been a terrific back. I think he was a second-round pick. Yes. 
Yeah. Yes, that's what you just that's just that's your sweet spot right there. You love second round <laughs> running back. And I love you I love, love running um, back to the draft. Mm. You use up Brees Hall and then don't pay him at, uh, at the end of his contract. Well, use him up and don't pay I mean, him. This is what happens. I mean, a guy tears his ACL, he's out for the year, and yeah. now you're gonna have to try to struggle without him. But yeah, the Jets and Giants both playing really well. All right, when we come back on the Burns and Gambo show, we'll actually go back to Thursday's game for the Cardinals and talk about something in that game that's being talked about a lot. Is it something that's going to keep opposing defenses in the future on their toes when they're playing the Cardinals? We'll tell you what it is next on the Burns and Gambo Show. Here we go! Quick game! Big Red Monday in Burns and Gambo on Arizona Sports. Let's go! Presented by Sanderson Ford. The best play is at Sanderson Ford. Let's go! Let's go! Let's go! Yeah, it's a big red Monday, even though the Cardinals played on Thursday. And, of course, they beat the New Orleans Saints to improve to 3-4 and four on the year. Now, next up, for the Cardinals, they travel to play the north-leading Minnesota Vikings, who had the bye this week. So, Minnesota will have an extra full weeks of rest and preparation. Cardinals have the mini-bye. The Vikings have the full bye. And something that we're going to keep an eye on when that Vikings game comes around and something we're probably going to keep an eye on for the rest of the season. Mike Renner from Pro Football Focus and Darren Urban from AZ Cardinals retweeted this this morning, wrote one interesting note from DeAndre Hopkins' return on Thursday night. He played 27 snaps in the slot. That is 17 more than he's ever had in a game with the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, they're going to say 17 more than he had all last year combined. It, it could be. I don't know. But 17 more than he's ever had in a single game with the Cardinals. And he writes, there's obviously a new plan for deploying D-Hop and how hard to understate how different the Cardinals offense looked with him. Now, we asked Steve Keim about this when we had him on earlier. Here's what Steve had to say to us. When you have a guy like Hop and, and people are going to either try double or bracket him. Uh, you want to move him around and try to create his mismatches. Although if you ask Top, he would tell you he's never covered. So, um, but but uh, talking about a uh, you know exciting time to have him come back and and really kind of felt strongly that he was going to come back and have uh, you know sort of that type of uh, impact on the game. That was interesting. He didn't like directly address how differently they're using Hop. And I noticed Cliff after the game on on Thursday didn't directly address how differently they're using DeAndre Hopkins. It, it almost seems as if they're trying not to talk about it a ton. Trying they to, don't think defense is going to go look I, at it and I, realize I, I that they're know. moving them all just, over the place? I, I just kind of noticed, uh, you know, that like... Wasn't it the most, one of the most obvious things in the game? 100%. Was, why is DeAndre Hopkins lined up in the slot on it, the right? It wasn't even the slot necessarily. It was just on the right side of the field. That's the what I noticed. Yeah, it's just, yeah. It's just like... Every time I saw a play unfold, I'm like, oh, there's DeAndre Hopkins yeah. on the right side. You almost never Wait, see him on the right side. Who's that in motion? The Cardinals don't run motion. They don't even know what motion is. Somebody must have told Cliff what motion is. They ran motion. But no, it was it. I mean, I saw him in motion a few times, and that was odd. And then you saw him line up to the right. Then you saw him line up inside on the left. And we're so used to accustomed him being that outside guy on the left, okay? Because that was a comfort spot. Maybe that's a side of maturity for Kyler Murray. No, really. Maybe it's a side. Maybe it's a side. We're looking for something to prove 
prove that Kyler Murray just, you know, can actually read defenses and see stuff. And with Hopkins lined up on the left all the time, we the belief was it's just it's easy for Kyler to know he's right there. Don't have him cross the field. Don't have him go somewhere where maybe a safety's going to come up and pick him up or a linebacker's going to drop into coverage on him. Keep him in one area. Kyler doesn't have to see a whole lot there. But all of a sudden, now that you're using Hopkins the way you are crossing the field, in the slot, out wide, left and right, I think that might be a good sign that, you know, that, that Murray, you know, Murray is aware of that, can read those defenses a little bit, bit better now and are able to do that with yeah, him. Yeah, and, and you're right. And, and, and Mitch, I want to thank you for fighting. This was the cut, exactly the cut I was referring to. Now, maybe at some point during his post-game interview session, Cliff did refer to it more specifically. I didn't hear it or I didn't read it. But when he was doing his post-game radio hit with Paul Calvisi on the Cardinals Radio Network, Calvisi's asking him about kind of changing where D-Hop is lined up more, and Cliff didn't really seem to want to talk about it very much. Um, yeah, I mean, we've always thrown it to him a bunch. <laughs> so I don't know if... if uh, it was in terms of where he was coming from. He's... he's we, we try to get it to him from a bunch of a bunch of different ways, but I think the more he gets comfortable being back in the offense, the more we'll we'll move him around and do different things. Again, we're not talking about you targeting him. We're talking about where he's lining up on the field. And I I just heard that answer. And I thought it sounds like he's working very hard to not talk about it very much. And you're right; they're not going to keep any secrets. All you no, have to do is pop in the all twenty two, and you're going to see exactly where DeAndre Hopkins is lined up. It's no, not the, that hard. The next day, you had some like I don't know, it's crazy stat where it shows you all the lines ups and. The the routes and everything. Oh, it's the all route over the field. tree, like where DeAndre the Hopkins, tree. the route yeah. tree, yeah, where the route it, tree. It, it was all over the field. It, everywhere. He was everywhere. And that's, I mean, listen, that's good. That's a good sign because it will free him up. It'll free up. Now, he was, he was targeted 14 times, 13 to 14 times. He had 10 catches. I think everybody else only had 10 catches. So, you know, I, I do think you're going to have to get other guys involved and we'll see um, as you play other teams. But they went at him early. They went at him often. There was no... And because it wasn't an injury or anything, I was really not worried about that. But it was odd to see the way that they lined him up all over the field. Look, I think it's I think it's growth. Okay, that's if you if you're looking for a sign of growth, that's growth in this offense that they, they can now do that with Hopkins and not have him lined up at one. Here's spot. Cliff with Wolf and Luke today on D Hop adding even more to his game. Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, that was without practicing. I mean, at all, we just walked through. So I'm hopeful um, the more time on task we get with him and and uh, with Kyler that the role continued to expand because he, he's, he is a guy that even when he's covered, he's open, and um, we, we needed his presence out there. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. And and having him back out there, the wonders it's going to do for Kyler, the wonders it's going to do for the offense, you you hope at this point, and there's really nothing else left to do, you hope that nothing else happens to him over the course of the season because we've seen the alternative. You know, I, you even got a fair question out of Steve Kime when you asked him about it today. Like, hey, you guys, it, it, you, you never figured out how to play without him. No. You didn't figure out how to do it at the end of last year. You didn't figure out how to do it at the beginning of this year. No. You ne- and, and even Steve said, yeah, that's... That's fair, and so at this point, you just hope like hell nothing else happens to him at any point during the season, because if there's one thing we've learned about the Cardinals, Cliff Kingsbury, and Kyla Murray, they don't know how to function without D-Hop. They just haven't been able to do it. They, they, they've had multiple opportunities, and they haven't been able to, so you just hope nothing happens. No, and you'll get... Robbie Anderson more involved in yep. this offense as you go forward. Maybe if Hollywood Brown comes back in six weeks. I mean, I even like I was surprised that he said there's still a role for AJ Green on this offense because we didn't we didn't see one last week. Yeah, we'll see. 
We'll see. I don't have that cut, but no, I know. But but we'll we'll see if there's a role for AJ. I, Green I asked, in is there still a role for AJ Green in his offense? Like him, he said, yeah, it's still still a role for him. Look, you get Robbie Anderson up to speed now, coming off the mini buy. Mm-hmm. So now you'll be able to use him more. You'll get him more. He'll be more involved. Now you have those two dynamic weapons. Anderson can really stretch the field with his speed. That may open some things up. Um, if you get Connor back and with Eno, you're gonna have a nice one-two punch there with James Connor and Eno. This will be a big week against Minnesota. You're in a tough spot now because you know you sit there and say, "Okay, New Orleans was a must-win." Oh, okay, you got it. I mean, with everybody bunched up the way they are, like all of these games have just the utmost importance because there's just there are too many teams that are mediocre. See, it's not like you've got a couple of really good teams and then a bunch of bad teams. It's, the majority of the teams in the NFC are mediocre, mm-hmm. so that puts you in a in a group with a lot of teams fighting for a playoff spot. Texas, your thoughts on the FanDuel text line at six twenty six twenty right now here on the Burns and Gambo Show. And when we come back, return. So it's time to hit the reset button. The four o'clock reset with all the top stories of the day all in one place. And there are a lot of top stories that we have to share with you next on the Burns and Gambo Show.